Perth Symphony's Music on the Move, a podcast for you, our audience and followers, to learn more about the concerts you're about to experience or the things we get up to. I'm Borby Webster, CEO and founder of Perth Symphony Orchestra. Music on the Move is a way to meet our musicians, gain insight into our concerts and catch gossip from behind the scenes, all aimed at giving you a much greater insight into the world of our incredible orchestra. Remember, you can join the conversation throughout any concert or at any time, sharing thoughts and photos to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using at Perth Symphony or hashtag Perth Symphony. And keep up to date with all Perth Symphony's activities at perthsymphony.com. To ensure you never miss a note, please subscribe to Perth Symphony Orchestra wherever you're listening from. And why not rate us and review us while you're there? Welcome to Perth Symphony's Music on the Move. My goodness, am I excited to chat to you today, Hugh Lydon. Thank you, Bobby. It's great It's great to be here. It's, so, Hugh, just so the people listening, you and I go back away a couple yes. of years now. <laughs> um, and, Hugh, I first met you. You came to see me because you were, was it taking over the Giovanni consort at the time? You were at John Septimus Row. Correct. I, I, I think I'd been taking them for about a couple of months at that stage and really was floundering with my arts administration experience. I'd never really done anything like that before because I'm I'm a teacher first. Um, and uh, you, your track record is phenomenal. And we want, so I really wanted to just ask for advice and, and how, to, how to steer an arts organisation in the right direction. Uh, I'm not sure I'm, it was any help whatsoever, but <laughs> I just, just so our listeners know, because I've been blown away by the Giovanni, and I guess because of you and our, you know, knowing you as a friend, um, I've attended more concerts, I've heard mm. more about them, you know, you're more visible now, but I also think that's probably down to a lot of work of you and the team. But Giovanni's been around a long time. T- just tell our listeners a bit about what is the Giovanni Consort. So the Giovanni Consort um, first formed in 1995, so next year is our 25th anniversary. And initially it was an opportunity for uh, university students to develop their one per part singing skills. And it started off really as sort of a social activity, but over the past 24 years it's grown to become a semi-professional organisation that can sing anything. So we, we specialise in Gregorian chants, but we were also the backing singers for the Rolling Stones when they came to perform a few years ago in the Perth Arena. And we're trying slowly to create Australia's first fully salaried 16-piece choir. There Damn. isn't one in the country yet. Fantastic. And, you know, the calibre of singing in Western Australia, Hugh, is just amazing. So look, here I am today with Hugh Lydon educator, artistic director, (laughs) chorus director, um, artistic administrator, just all-round mover-shaker in singing. Hugh, tell me about this whole passion for singing. You're clearly English like me, spot spot the (laughs) accent. Everyone's like, listen to those two having a chat. Um, Tell me about your background and what singing means to you. Well, um, I was one of those children who just used to sing all the time. I was why sort of uh, thing growing up. My parents are optometrists. They are not uh, musically minded at all, but they were uh, advised um, by a family friend to put me forward to audition for Westminster Cathedral in London. Um, 
they had no experience of what that meant. They decided to put me forward. Um, I sang a hymn from my local church because I didn't know what any other song uh, was. I'd never experienced anything other than sort of play school and, and, and hymn singing. But somehow I managed to uh, get accepted. I was one of four choristers who got accepted into uh, Westminster Cathedral in 1992. And I was there for five years um, and had the most phenomenal music education from that because it was a boarding school uh, where the boys in the choir sang seven services a week for five years. Good heavens. Um, That's a lot a, of singing. It was, but it, what it meant was that as a musician, um, I had this sort of phenomenal exposure to every type of music making possible. I, I was lucky enough to sing on the first night of the proms in 1995. I got to sing for, for a concert uh, by John Taverner in which he was in the audience, but you also got to perform uh, in Wigmore Hall and, and doing Britain's War Requiem and, and all sorts of crazy things. But as an eight to 13 year old, you kind of just roll with it. You don't understand the opportunity that you've had. It's taken me a long time to reflect on the past, to realise that I was so lucky to have that opportunity um, as, a, as, a, as a child. Um, and it meant that singing has always been fun for me. It's we just, we just, because you had to sing something new and something different every day, and you go, oh, it's Thursday, we're doing a Stravinsky Mass. Okay, off we go, I'm 10, let's just do this. Um, the... Uh, it was it was a fun activity with 29 of your best mates who you happen to live with as well. So that was a lot of fun. And um, I finished there in, in, in 1997, having sort of sung every major work that there was to do in, in five years. And I then moved to another boarding school up in the north of Yorkshire uh, called Ampleforth College, which is a Benedictine monastery, who incidentally are in charge of running the new Norcia uh, monastery in Western Australia. Um, and I stayed there for another five years as um, uh, as a music scholar, where I did a lot of singing uh, there as well. I play, I play trombone as well, that's my other sort of uh, love. So I got to play in all sorts of orchestras and uh, jazz bands and wind bands and things during those five years. But singing sort of was came quite easily. So I was involved with things uh, such as the Rodolphus Choir and uh, the Eton Choral Courses and ideas like that, because it was a, it, as much a social activity as a... Uh, as a skills, skill development. And it's also clear to me that, you know, the yeah. role of the church, you know, church music, goodness me, the church is responsible for some of the most incredible music ever written in history. But a lot of what you were singing would have been around masses and religious music. Absolutely. The, the, the predominant art form was actually Gregorian chant. Um, so some of the oldest music on earth, um, well, some of the oldest Western art music on earth. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so religion was a, was a core component of it, um, which um, has stuck with me as I've, as I've grown up. I now work in a, uh, in a Catholic school teaching boys to do the same things that I did myself as a kid. Um, but as I grew through my teenage years, I was also exposed to barbershop and jazz ensembles and um, consort singing, a bit like the King Singers do as well. Um, and how so. was that for you, like suddenly going from a fairly rigorous choral regimented environment or singing to then actually letting go and doing barbershop? Look, it was very... Um, uncomfortable to start with just that 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 element of freedom was not normal as a as a as a chorister you're taught to 
process metronomically, hold your folder at a particular angle. It's very regimental. So you have this huge level of uh, self-discipline that you expect. You almost create an alter ego as a, as a human. You have this sort of happy-go-lucky child nature and then, oh, it's time to perform and you flick a switch and you're into the mindset of a 25-year-old even though you might only be 11. Um, so initially it was tricky, but I think growing up also playing the trombone helped because yes. it gave me that opportunity to do it not only as a singer but also as an instrumentalist. To broaden that musical horizon. Absolutely. And so. Hugh, how do you feel that your singing has shaped you as a person? You know, what sort of impact has it had on your life as a whole? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that I'm uh, fairly good at collaborating with people. I, I, I think that being part of a choir is the uh, almost one of the ultimate forms of teamwork because there is nothing to hide behind. It is you making the music and if you know and trust the people that you're working with, then uh, you're going to create wonderful things. Um, so, so I think teamwork is, is a strong skill set of mine because of my singing. Um, the, uh, but also, um, as I've grown up um, and gotten older, I think my focus and determination has been a big part of my choral background. Originally, uh, once I'd left the cathedral, I was a very big fish in a very small pond and I think I got quite arrogant as a teenager and in my early 20s because I thought, well, I've done all of this before. It's, it's kind of easy. I'm just going to float along. Um, and I got to uh, my university degree um, and coasted for the first little while and then suddenly realised, hang on a second, if I apply the same techniques I did as a kid to my career, then actually I can do well. But if I, if I coast along, that's fine. But then I don't think I'll ever realise my, my potential. But yeah. it took me until I was about 23 to really get that. Yeah. And how crazy that, you know, most of us actually settle down as we grow older, whereas you'd actually settled down as a child into this incredible discipline and whatever. Mm. Um, and, you know, had to re-tap into that in a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think my... So I... I uh, because I'd been boarding for 10 years, I went to university in Ireland. I moved, moved overseas to go and do a degree in music education in Trinity College, Dublin. And I think not having anyone to answer to um, meant I went a little bit sort of, as I say, I became complacent, I think, to be honest with you, for a while. And then I got to my final year of, of a four-year degree and went, well, no, actually, now, hang on a second, I need to uh, um, rediscover what I had in well, the you know, you were, as you were saying, like choral traditions, and I was a chorister, yeah. and you know, you, you, that structure is laid on for you. You have to be at that service in the morning, and your mm. rehearsals are. So when you take that structure away, and suddenly it's your own sense of self-discipline, it's incredibly hard to get that to kick in, because you know you've got to suddenly find it in yourself to implement the discipline that you've had for the rest of your life. So, absolutely. Um... I think that's possibly why I've chosen the career as a teacher because I have to live by a timetable. Yes. So I sort of naturally have that that structure comes back into my day every day now anyway, which probably helps a little bit too. Well, let's fast forward to that because, you know, here you are in Western Australia, Hugh, and, you know, I met you as, I mean, yes, running the Giovanni and you'd just take over the, taken over the reins, but you were also at John Septimus 
Row, and you're now Correct. Aquinas I am, College. So. Just talk about your current role for us. Right, so I'm I am very lucky that I am uh, essentially recreating the, uh, the educational experience that I had in the UK for the first time in Western Australia. I run uh, a choral scholarship program at Aquinas College uh, for a choir called the Schola Cantorum. Uh, currently, I teach 14 boys, uh, essentially nine hours of music a week. I see them six days a week um, and they sing yeah, six days a week, um, performing uh, every, every single day, either as a, in a church, uh, church service in St. Patrick's Basilica in Fremantle or to their uh, peers as a house chapel service. Uh, next year, we're expanding from 14 to 24. Um, and the idea is to, um, yeah, essentially establish that, that choral tradition and culture that we both know and love from the UK here. Incredible. Um, I'm very fortunate that the headmaster of Aquinas College both gets the concept but also values the need for sacred choral music in shaping the identity of the boys at Aquinas College. And that's because and his immediate job before being headmaster at Aquinas College was that he was the headmaster at the London Oratory in the UK, where there is a full-time choir who sing every single day. So over the last year, what uh, David McFadden, the headmaster, has done is he has uh, mandated that every single boy from pre-primary all the way up to year 12 has a fortnightly chapel service that he leads. And the format of those uh, chapel services are that the boys walk into the school chapel, um, they collectively sing a hymn, there is a, a reading um, either from a, a sacred text or a, an inspirational speech or a poem or a piece of literature um, that then the headmaster normalises for the mind of a teenage boy or a junior school boy. Um, and then as they reflect on the message that that text holds, my choristers sing. And it could be Mendelssohn, it could be Foray, it could be Mozart, it could be absolutely anything. But the boys, the students, sit in silence as my choristers sing, and they continue to sit for a further two minutes in silence after we finish singing. So it's an opportunity for uh, young people to be still and be calm and essentially meditate and reflect in what is an ever-increasingly fast-paced world. Um, but the core component of that is the music. Gosh, what that visionary leadership by the headmaster. Third Symphony is excited to soon be announcing their 2020 season. From breweries to beachhead, Haydn to Hendrix, we are committed to bringing music for everyone to everyone across Perth and Western Australia. Join our mailing list at www.perthsymphony.com to be the first to hear when these exciting concerts are announced. Hugh, can I be controversial? Yes, please. <laughs> Is there a place for this? You know, some of the listeners might be thinking, well, that just sounds terribly stuffy and traditional and it's just not relevant to today's society. You know, is, is there a place for this kind of commitment to music and reflection and elevation of singing in schools? I strongly believe so. I, I get quite passionate about this. Um, 
my uh, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be sacred mu choral music, but I think choral music is absolutely crucial for the development of the person. Um, there, we we have this concept in Australia that we don't sing, but every single sporting team in the country must sing a team song every time they win. So by the very definition, well, we do sing. And yet, uh, for some reason, people get embarrassed about doing it. But all singing is, is the manipulation of the human voice. If you can hear, um, if I say the following uh, sentence two times, if I say that is a microphone, and then I say that's a microphone, and you can hear that one of those was a statement and one was a question, well, you can hear pitch. And if you can hear pitch, you can copy it. So if you can copy it, you can sing. Um, and singing is free. We are all born with a voice, so therefore uh, we have this ability to make music together. And it doesn't have to be complex. I mean, nursery rhymes are a great starting point, but it has to start young. Because if people uh, sing, they, uh, they feel good about it. As soon as they, like, I mean, a, a, a lot of people um, go out and perform karaoke. Like, it's because that sensation of actually having a bit of a sing is great for your mental health. Doing it in a, in a group gives you a social activity. Um, and it's, um, it's something that everyone can do. Um, so my, my passion uh, as an educator is trying to uh, encourage and develop people from all ages and backgrounds to sing. Um, because it it culturally is already here but for so for those people who, who think well actually um no singing is not something for us well, well I, I quite frankly disagree because it's it's already part of part of our fabric it just needs to have a bit of a light shine on it one issue at the moment though is the fact that there are very few groups in australia that can demonstrate what it is to sing well so uh, a, a good definition at the moment of a, of a uh, singing music educator by Australian public standards is the Wiggles. Now that's fine, there's, there's, the Wiggles have a, have a strong place, but the thing is, is that actually the Wiggles all sing in unison and, um, and everything is very repetitive and it only has a sort of a fairly narrow uh, range of notes sung. If, if they suddenly... Uh, are, if the public are presented with uh, a similar song to the Wiggles, but not accompanied by electric guitars and drumbeats, but in fact done by just the human voice, but it's the same song, say Hot Potato, then actually I think people can go, huh, that's quite impressive. Um, I'd like to give that a go. Um, but unfortunately, I think we, 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 we watered down our expectations, unfortunately, uh, in, uh, in society where we kind of look at for the lowest common value and go, well, that's, that's good enough. Mm. The whole point of the choral scholarship program in, in Aquinas is to say, well, no, that's not good enough. Um, we can push ourselves all the time um, through singing to do something even more impressive. Um, and, the, and the flow on effect of that is that every other aspect of the boys' uh, schooling improves. They get better 
in their academic results, they get better in their sporting results because they work together as a team. And how are they viewed in the school? Like, is there a respect growing for this choir? Hugely, because it's, it's completely normalised. Because every single boy within the school hears these people sing once a fortnight minimum, um, it is just part of the school culture. There is no judgement at all from any other boy within the school. Um, it does, I'm not gonna lie, it does help that some of my choristers are also in the A's for basketball or the champion cross country runner, um, because it shows that there is sort of the ability to do uh, sporting activities and be a musician. Aquinas has always had a very strong sporting heritage. Nat Fife, for example, is an old boy. Justin Langer, the current Australian cricket coach, is an old boy. Um, the list goes on, uh, but, my uh, my trump card, I suppose, is that as I was going through um, Westminster Cathedral as a boy, there was uh, a similar boy, exactly the same age as me, going through St Paul's Cathedral at the same time. And he is Sir Alistair Cook, who is the highest run scoring uh, cricketer in English history. Um, he was a chorister. He sang seven services a week, five days a week. Uh, sorry, seven, sorry, six days a week, seven services a week for five years. And he credits his ability to open the batting for the test team to being a choral singer. Yeah. So if you you, you can do both, I uh, think that's 100%. important to, to recognise. Well, as someone, you know, I've, I've been a former elite athlete and international athlete and absolutely. musician, and I absolutely believe that one intertwines with the other but leads you down the most amazing path and the mm. skills you get from both. So hats off to Aquinas. So, Hugh, this segues nicely into a part of the reason that you and I have actually sort of come closer to working together recently in that Perth Symphony Orchestra is a week and a half away from performing the beautiful Raymond Briggs story, The Snowman, with a yes. live orchestral score by Howard Blake. And um, this is just the most beautiful story about a boy at Christmas. Um, and it's basically a silent film, which is also incredibly beautiful. The music is used as the narrator, mm. which just shows how powerful the language of music is. You don't actually need words, Correct. which is slightly Gregorian chant <laughs> yes. in, its, in its thinking. Um, but there is one song in The Snowman, and this song um, is called Walking in the Air, and it was absolutely massacred with an iron brew advert falling through the <laughs> air. Remember that Scottish yes. television advert advertising some awful drink? So I shouldn't say that, iron brew. Lots of people love it. Um, <laughs> and we went out to search for a star in Western Australia, um, and I was pretty passionate that it was written for a boy and therefore we should get a boy to sing it, even though lots of people were saying, oh, I know a young girl that can. <laughs> I said, well, it's written for a boy. There's a very certain timbre mm. about a boy singing. Yes. And I also wanted to see if we could discover some boys that perhaps weren't in a formal singing education program. So, Hugh, yes. you were brought in as one of our amazing team. I'm not going to call you a judge because that's just the most <laughs> awful word. But, you know, I, I, I can't remember how, I think we received 36, 38 video applications from boys all across Western Australia. Mm. I think 10 were chosen and we brought them together for Correct. a day. Tell me what happened on that day. So um, the 10 boys were, uh, they met together on a Saturday afternoon at Aquinas College, um, who kindly hosted the, uh, the audition process. They met, uh, Perry Joyce, who conducts the Western Australian Young Voices, who are one of uh, the state's uh, premier children's uh, music ensembles, let alone choirs, they're absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and Perry workshop with them for an hour, collectively, explaining how to um, 
create a particular timbre of sound uh, to, but also to sort of to act uh, as a as a character as well. I think a lot of a lot of boys in that sort of age eight to 12, 13 bracket are quite um, static in their nature when it comes to performing, unlike when they're playing sport and it's all about motion. Um, and I think uh, what Perry was trying to do was to uh, get their visual component to match their sonic component, uh, because they all, all 10 boys absolutely sounded wonderful. Any single one of them would have been a, a, a fantastic addition to this uh, really exciting concert. Um, and so over the course of 60 minutes, Perry spoke about breathing techniques and pronunciations and uh, vowel shapes and consonants and um, yeah, very, various other sort of uh, singing uh, techniques. Um, and then after that, each boy had about a seven minute window uh, to perform the whole song, Walking in the Air, uh, to myself and two other members of a, of a panel. Um, and the, the three of us uh, had a chat after each performance and, and, and identified key strengths and key weaknesses. Um, and uh, after hearing all 10 boys, we sort of uh, collectively made a judgment on who we thought the, uh, the, the most appropriate boys would be to perform at the snowman. And look, we obviously, we did, you did pick two for us and we'll just talk about them in a minute. But overall, what were your sort of takeaways seeing 10 boys from different schools, different regions of WA? What were your overall thoughts? Well, my, my first thought was the fact that to have that many boys wanting to, to sing in front of a symphony orchestra to a large crowd shows that we're going in the right direction. There is a singing culture being built. And the fact that there were 30 different boys who auditioned in the first place is great. So often we expect uh, girls to, to be involved in the performing arts and we say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not a boy thing. Um, they can go off and, you know, do something else. But so, yeah, so the, the, the first initial sort of uh, uh, thing I took away from the whole event was that not only are there lots of boys who enjoy singing, but they're also very good. Um, every single one of them, the, the collective sound of all 10 when they sang together was astounding. There was, there was a great choir right there, even though they'd only met an hour previously. So you think there is potential for a West Australian boys choir? I do, absolutely. There you go, Hugh, that's another project for you. <laughs> that should be fun. <laughs> there you go, hosted by a choirness. Absolutely. You've obviously yeah. got the facilities there. And look, the two boys that we we um, basically gave the job to, you picked Jimmy Jurovich, mm. who's from Manning, from Ursula Frain School. Um, and Danny Melville, who lives in Cardinia, who um, attends John Curtin, which, as we know, is a very, very musical arts school. Yes. What is surprising to me is that Jimmy's only 10 and Danny's only 12. Mm. You know, and we have done this before when we've presented The Snowman. And several of the boys are sort of around the 13, 14 mark. And at right. that, at that um, age, there's a big jump from a 12-year-old even to a 14-year-old. So yeah. these are incredibly young boys, but you obviously felt that their voice was ready, their you know, personalities were ready. Absolutely. They, look, I've, I've always been a mantra. What, one, of the, one of the great things about music for me is that it doesn't matter what your age is. So many aspects of a, of a child's education, all the way up to 18, is determined about how old they are. So you, you work with your... Uh, your peers in, in academic subjects and your stream just in your academic nature. But similarly with sport, it's all done in, in age groups 
um, and so many different activities are just you're limited to that small bracket of who you, what year you happen to be born in music never does that if you're good enough you're old enough and so yeah so if there if there was a 10 year old who's who's better than a 14 year old then then we pick the 10 year old and i think both both of those boys were remarkably mature in their approach i think um but i mean you could when the, one of the really important things that we look for was actually what the boys were doing when they weren't singing it's very easy to uh during the instrumental sections to look just just look uh vaguely into the distance but both of these boys had that um sort of perception to the to the audience to the panel that they were quite literally flying through the air holding the hand of a snowman as as is in the film and that particular film is something that's very dear to my heart i grew up watching that in the uk every year it was it was a real family tradition to watch the snowman so th those those two boys both danny and jimmy um just encapsulated the whole characterization of of the music um so there yeah so the fact that jimmy is only 10 i i think is 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 testament to him and and the fact that he enjoys singing so much but also i think reflects the fact that you know it, he he's he is good enough regardless of age shouldn't be a factor and yeah. i i when i started as a chorister i was eight you know and i think if you if you if you can give it a go um, and you can execute it as well as he did, then yeah, he's thoroughly deserving of a shot. I mean, I cannot wait to hear them sing. I think we, we're doing a private show for one of our beautiful sponsors, AHG, right. uh, supporting us in this. Um, they're our foundation partner, but they're actually um, sponsoring this um, whole whole Christmas concert, um, and we've invited I think eight nine hundred of their employees oh, along wow. for a private show uh, the day before the public shows. So we've asked the two boys to sing together. Fantastic. So I'll have the opportunity to sing to a really big crowd, but have that support. Yes. Then on Sunday. You know, we've got Jimmy doing the 2 p.m. and Danny doing the 4 p.m. So then they, they've got to walk out there on their own, sing this song to a room full of families. Absolutely. So I'm very excited for them. But, you know, how do you think they'll go? I, look, I think, they'll, I think they'll go particularly well. I think it, it's harder to sing in front of a smaller group of people. The fact that they could, they could sing in a room where there were three people judging every aspect of their performance and they, they absolutely crushed it, um, I think... You, you almost desensitize to the, the, the larger body of people and you go, well, there's a sea of people here. Right, I'm just going to do it. Uh, I'm actually bringing both of my sons and my wife and mother-in-law to the 2 p.m. performance on the day. And I'm really hoping that if, if it's Jimmy singing at that one, that he has this positive inspiration to my own boys who go, ah, okay, I could do that in yeah. the future. I think that's um, a really sort of good aspect of this is... is not only are they getting this phenomenal opportunity to sing in front of you know a large group of people accompanied by an entire symphony orchestra but that will act as a ripple effect to other boys in the audience absolutely who go, i can do that too i'm hoping that very thing as well hugh yeah. now look part of and look thank you so much for being involved in helping us oh, and to all the pleasure. other panelists and perry and you know i understand it was just an incredible day and i really hope all of those boys continue to sing and mm. continue with their music absolutely. but hugh you are changing i believe along with several others who think like you but i, I see you very much as a leader you know changing the position of choral music in western australia your commitment to it and understanding of how important it is and and i know recently that you've been out front of the wazo chorus 
which is yes, enormous I, and very exciting. <laughs> I, look, I've, I've been very fortunate and uh, privileged and honoured to be asked to do that. Um, it, the Earlier on this year, I was uh, asked to rehearse for their last night at the Proms concert. Um, so the, the chorus uh, sang... How big is the chorus? It's about 75 people. That's a lot of chorus. people compared to your... Is it 12 boys, that are, 14 boys at a 14 boys at a Aquinas, how, yes. how different is that suddenly? And adults, I mean, what's what's the difference? It's... Um, the... with Well, it... it there's quite there's quite a lot of similarities between the Aquinas boys and the and the Waza chorus because the until this year the Aquinas boys had never actually sung in a choir. This this only this choral scholarship only became in uh, into existence in February. So uh, with the boys, they're very they're very much like sponges, and uh, you can say something once and they will do it. But you do have to be very very clear in your directions of how you want them to sound. The most common vowel that they uh, need reminding on is is simply the letter A. Because they sing so much sacred music, uh, the word Amen comes along quite a lot. Um, so that R sound has taken a long time to refine. Um, and now that they're at the point where they, they kind of can self-regulate, I suppose, what that should be. The Waza Chorus has a similar thing. Because there are 75 different people all of whom have a different interpretation of how to pronounce the letter A, you can use the similar techniques to, to the larger group. The, the ensemble that's, that's different is the Giovanni Consort. So they, we only ever sing one per part music in the Giovanni Consort and everyone's getting paid. So it's a, it's a very different mindset. People need to know the music before the first rehearsal. You should only ever say something once and then it should always be completely uh, perfect from that point onwards. Uh, whereas with the Wazo Chorus and the Aquinas Boys, there's there has to be a healthy level of tolerance um, and encouragement. So one on one hand, with the professional group, you can be quite uh, firm, uh, whereas that doesn't work with a community choir or indeed a boys choir. Uh, because if they are having a negative experience, well, they can just go. They don't have to be there. There's there's nothing holding them hostage, as it were, to mm -hmm. that situation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all it's all about positivity. It's all about um, sort of a team effort, you know, um, and positive reinforcement. Um, and how do you feel standing in front of 75 people at full voice? How does that feel as a conductor? Oh, awesome. It's amazing to hear that. Just to be washed with sound is, is quite... Um, quite remarkable. I sort of think it would be the difference rather than sort of just a, driving a small motorboat to suddenly driving a shipping container. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does take, you do need to be very uh, clear with your directions because it, as soon as one person decides that they're going to go on a different tempo, it's as well, like the shipping container, it takes, it, it does take a while to steer sometimes. But uh, But when everyone is very familiar with the music, um, and everyone is on the same page and they know exactly what you're going to do, it's, it's quite um, awe-inspiring mm. having that sheer volume of people uh, come together and, and work together. And work Hugh, together. we've spoken to, about the benefits to the boys of being in a choral programme, and goodness me, there is so much evidence to show mm. that children involved in music outperform. Yes. On every level. Emotional yes. intelligence, cognitive coordination—you name it. I mean, mm. it's all their language skills. For adults, 
Yes. What do you think the benefits are? Like, you know, when those Wazo chorus members go home, how have they changed? How has singing I, I think a, a huge part of it social and mental health wise, but I think it depends. I think it depends on the environment that they are that they are in as to what the outcomes are. So with the Wazo chorus, I think they their concept is their reason for turning up is they get to sing large scale symphonic music with an orchestra um, and their friends, and I think that's an important part for them. If you look at a different form of community choir, for example, a different hat that I've worn over the last few years is to create something called the Perth Choral Institute. We would put together um, events called boot camps where um, people uh, from all walks of life would come together and within a week put together a performance as a choir. So this time last year, for example, we had 40 individuals come together. The youngest was nine, the oldest was 70, and they learned half an hour's worth of Christmas carols um, in four different languages uh, and perform that as a part of an event run by the city of Claremont. Um, so for those adults who are in that ensemble, there is a, the opportunity to meet new people and to get to build social connections in that way. But also I think it's a case of, of them realizing they can still push themselves. A lot of people in that choir had never been in a choir before. Some of them had never, couldn't read music. Um, and yet they were able to sing you know, half an hour's worth of music flawlessly in four-part harmony after three rehearsals. Uh, and it's, it's a case of challenging yourself to, to, to redefine what, is, what, what does the word normal mean. I think a lot of people go, oh, well, this is, this is normal. It's like going back to what we were saying earlier about music education. Unfortunately, music education at the moment is, is, is not as strong as it could be in some schools because... The, the perception is, oh, well, it's normal to just read words off a whiteboard and sing along. Whereas if we, if we say to anybody, regardless of what age they are, well, no, it's actually normal to be given a piece of sheet music and, and it's normal to be slightly overwhelmed by it the first time you see it. But it's also normal to realise that the more you do it, the easier it gets. So it's normal to sing in French yes. next, by this time next week. Yep. Um, and... Every single one of them did. And they, they all loved it. They all had a great time and they all want to do it again. So Hugh, how would you overall describe the state of singing in Western Australia? Are you positive? Are you frustrated? Are you... <laughs> I, I Motivated, I think is the right word. Excellent. Um, there's, there, is, there are some, as, as we saw by the, the fact that there were over 30 different boys auditioning for The Snowman, there is the demand for singing here. I think it needs... Uh, a bit of a rudder. At the moment, a lot of schools, uh, and at the risk of sounding slightly controversial, some tertiary educations do not take choral singing seriously. They take instrumental music seriously, but they don't see choral music as having the same uh, difficulty and the same value. Whereas I say, well, it's actually the free resource because anyone can do it. You don't even need sheet music. You can teach each part by ear. Um, and, uh, and then we can continue the strong tradition that we've had over the last few decades where we do make up a significant percentage of the National Youth Choir of Australia. We make a significant contribution to the opera singers of Australia. Um, going back to those, those early years of the Giovanni consort, Ian Grandage was a member. Taryn Feebig was a member, Rochelle Durkin was a member, James Clayton was a member, Andrew O'Connor was a member, Katja Webb was a member. All of them 
used choral music. And all of those singers I know extremely well there and are go. superlative and hitting the world stage. Absolutely. So what a breeding ground the Giovanni is. Yeah, absolutely. But but it only works in collaboration with others. It can't be its own little island. It has to it has to um, sort of build partnerships everywhere. So Hugh, other than gorgeous songs like Walking in the Air, yes. in the Snowman, um, if any of our listeners are like, well, let me just explore, what is, why do these two people sitting having a yarn love choral music so much and mm -hmm. why is it so magical? Now, I personally would always say, look, you've got to go for the big hitters, listen to Carmina Burana, yes. Mozart Requiem. Yes. You know, if you've seen the film Amadeus and the, the, dr the drama that the chorus in the Requiem brings to that film is just insane. <laughs> yes. Have you got some favourites? Like, what, you know, is there a bit of Gregorian chant or, you know, what, what could people listen to so that they understand the magic that we're talking about? Um... <laughs> right. Well, there's the if you're if you're uh, able to find a, a music streaming service, then things like the yeah the opening of Carmina Burana is a is a great way of hearing that sort of bombastic nature of things. But if you want to hear something a little bit more um, uh, intimate, um, things like uh, Eric Whittaker, for example, is one of the darlings of uh, the current choral scene. He's an American, a very gorgeous blonde chap. And he, right, he, so he has come up with a concept called the virtual choir, where he has had uh, people around the world sing uh, one part of his choral music uh, into the microphone and then stick it onto YouTube. And then he's edited it. So there's literally hundreds of thousands of people coming together from around the world to sing one piece of music. I think that's a good way of it looks Aramque. It's the most incredible piece. If you Google, if you can stick into your Google search, um, Global Choir Eric Whitaker, you'll hear what Hugh's talking about and it makes your spine tingle. Absolutely. And these are people that are not in choirs. They're in their bedrooms, their offices, probably in their basement at work during their lunch break recording this music. It's yeah. incredible, isn't it, Hugh? It's absolutely stunning. Um, and, it's, and, and I think having that visual component helps as well, that you can see the uh, the joy on the people's faces as they sing because it's it's very easy to to just listen to a track but if you can if you can see how much fun and how much unity there is by people who've never met um, that I think is a, is an important part um, I think if you're uh, more along the lines of going to see something live uh, in a in a mildly shameless plug. Um, I would recommend looking at an event that's happening on Valentine's Day next year. Uh, the Giovanni Concert are very lucky that we've been invited to perform at the Perth Festival next year, doing a concert called Ancient Voices. And uh, we're collaborating with uh, another Western Australian choir called Voices um, and a group called the Jeswaldo Six to perform uh, a lot of different music. But the two highlights would be uh, Thomas Tallis's Spem in Allium, which requires 40 different singers to sing 40 different parts simultaneously. Next year happens to be the 450th anniversary of that piece of music. Good heavens. So that is one form of ancient voices, but we're also being joined on stage for another piece in that concert by the didgeridoo player, William Barton, who has uh, used his uh, culture and uh, uh, knowledge uh, of country to uh, create a piece of music called Kalkadonga Yordu, 
which again will be sung by 40 different singers and William Barton playing the didgeridoo. So, and that's a whole other definition of ancient voices. It's a completely different style oh, of music. I've got goosebumps even hearing about it, let alone actually sitting in and listening. It should be a lot of fun if people have, have the ability to, to get to Winthrop Hall um, on Valentine's Day. That's when that performance is. Well, there's some dates for people's diaries. But Hugh, um, I always associate Christmas with music more than yes. any other time of year. And before we started recording, you told me joyously that this was the <laughs> first time in many years that you're not singing on Christmas Day. Day. Yes. So, but if people do want to experience some great music this Christmas mm. to put them in the Christmas spirit and that is exactly what music is meant to do is to yes. take us and put us in places where we can define ourselves and yes. um, where, where can people go? Um, well obviously the snowman is the first place I would recommend I think it's the absolute Sunday the 22nd of December at <laughs> Scotch College Dickinson Centre absolutely I will be there I cannot wait it's going to be so much fun um, if you're into more of a Christmas carol nature and you'd like to join along, I'd recommend looking at places like Christchurch Claremont to do a lot of different carol services. St. George's Cathedral do a lot of different nine lessons and carol services in the vein of um, uh, King's College Cambridge. Um, the, uh, the Aquinas boys are performing uh, one Christmas concert on the 12th of December. Uh, in St. Patrick's Basilica in Fremantle. And then a lot of different cities will also be having those carols by candlelight services where people can come along and, in, and join in and, ha and experience what it's like to sing en masse and get that sense of, of joy from singing something as beautiful as Silent Night or as uh, inspiring as Joy to the World. Hugh Lydon, don't stop here, will you? I I'll think there is so much more to give and to come from you. I cannot wait to see where the Aquinas program goes. Thank you for helping with our boys for the snowman. It's my honour. It's Thank just you. been such a joy chatting. Thank you so much, Bobby. I, I cannot wait to hear how both Danny and uh, it's going to go. And I've temporarily forgotten the other boy's name. It's, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, that's the Jimmy one. Jimmy's the one Danny. I'm coming to see. I can't wait to see how Jimmy and Danny do on the day. Thank you again. Thanks, you. The Snowman is presented by AHG, Perth Symphony's foundation partner, and supported by concert partner Brown's Dairy, and hosted by venue partner Scotch College, the home of PSO. A huge thanks to our foundation partner AHG and sustainability partners Mindaroo Foundation and Tim Roberts Giving, and platinum partner Programmed, whose support helps the orchestra do what we do every day. Thank you for listening to Perth Symphony Orchestra's Music on the Move. <laughs>